With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everybody, to the Mainland Podcast. It's time for episode number 129. We are, of course, the uh, podcast from Mainland.com. We cover all things Orlando City and Orlando Pride. I am Michael Citro, the founder and managing editor of the SB Nation site. And uh, joining me is one of our senior columnists, Dave Rowe, up in Tallahassee. Dave, how are we doing this week? Uh, it's a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, it's uh, raining and we have defeats and, and we have U.S. wins and ties. And it's all, it's all over the place. It really I, I don't even know how to react to some of it. Yeah, it, this is going to be a, a full-sized episode, I would think. I'm I'm going to try to be less rambly than usual because we, we do have a few things to cover. Why don't we get started with the first game that occurred since we last talked, and that is Orlando City at Miami United FC, the uh, second game of what will end up becoming a five-game road trip with uh, U.S. Open Cup matches sprinkled in amongst the MLS stuff. Uh, the Lions went down, put out a pretty strong team, actually, uh, for that game, and including the return of Jonathan Spector to the lineup, and uh, came away with a big, big win on the road in the U.S. Open Cup to uh, to start the, the run here in 2018. 3-0, uh, with a couple of Lions getting their first ever goals for Orlando City in the persons of Dylan Powers and P.C., I was very happy to see the headband score. Um, it was that's always nice, uh, and uh, of course, um, getting to see PC out there also uh, uh, good to see him doing some good stuff. There was, uh, like you said, there was a pretty uh, a pretty good squad. Uh, it looks like uh, Jason Christ was taking the uh, Open Cup seriously, um, especially given you know how many people we've had out. Uh, he he took the entire squad down with him, so. Um, you know, whoever was available was available, but um, yeah, no doubt a, a three a three nil victory is is nothing to uh, nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, and it was Orlando City really in control the entire match. There were a few um, semi threats. I think uh, Earl Edwards Jr. maybe only had one save to make in the game, and then he he actually spilled it out in front of his net, and that was kind of a nervy moment, but. Uh, uh, overall, didn't really ever feel like Miami United was going to be too big of a problem. It just kind of became a matter of can Orlando City score goals, and they eventually did. Uh, Stefano Pino got the first one. Of course, he has now scored uh, four and against Orlando City in the U.S. Open Cup. And then Dylan Powers <laughs> and then PC did the same thing. He pulled a Stefano Pino and said, well, if you're going to score on Orlando City in uh, U.S. Open Cup and then score for them, I guess I'm going to do that as well. So 
Um, that was a pretty masterful game for Sasha Kleschen. You would expect a, a wily veteran uh, playmaker like him to to boss a game like that, and he, he certainly did. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, it, it's what I, I know that it was against, you know, Miami United and uh, MPSL uh, squad, but hopefully that uh, will be able to be translated um, up to the MLS level, you know, get him a little bit of confidence back. Um, it, it would it would certainly be nice if he if he could do that uh, at the higher level as well. And, and of course, going forward in in Open Cup, uh, you know, we've it's not going to be all lower level squads. So uh, they're, they're going to have to step up against the big boys uh, in Open Cup as well as a, in the regular schedule. Yep, and that will start uh, in the Open Cup. That will start, um, I believe, the 20th. I, I haven't seen if that's been official officially announced, but at DC United, that probably will be or that will be played at Maryland Soccerplex. The new stadium is not open yet, so um, Orlando City not hosting round uh, five as well. They did not apply to host uh, either this round or the quarterfinals if they make it. So. Um, a difficult road for Orlando City on uh, in the U.S. Open Cup as they will not be playing home games until uh, at least the semifinals if they make it that far. So, um, it, it, But it's good to get that win under the belt, especially after a couple of losses to lower-level teams the last couple of years. Um, you know, every year you hear the, the coaching staff say they're going to take it seriously, put out a strong team. And every year you kind of get a mixture of veterans and younger guys, backups and that kind of thing. And I certainly thought we would see Cam Lindley in that game. I thought we would see Pierre De Silva maybe at least in the 18. And that wasn't the case. It was really a, a veteran team for the most part. And even though some of those veterans don't play a whole lot, um, they, they managed to get on the field and uh, and contribute. Dylan Powers, again, with the goal, which was, uh, you know, not expected. And uh, PC looked pretty good from the jump uh, out on that left side in the attacking midfield. And uh, it was it was just good to get a win because we'd seen four straight losses at that point. And uh, it was nice to know that the team could go out and get a W and uh, score some goals. It had been... Uh, several games since uh, Orlando City had scored more than one goal in a game. Yeah, and uh, you, you mentioned that some of those guys are they're more veteran players, but, but haven't seen the field. That's given <laughs> given how the season's gone as far as uh, injuries and and whatnot. Uh, the the more guys that can get some playing time in actual game uh, at, at game speed, the better. Um, whether it's you know an open cup or uh, the regular season. So it, it was good to see, uh, like I said, Dylan Powers, PC, those guys get uh, some time and then also contribute. So that's, you know, um, it it gives, it helps with the depth, obviously, or the, the willingness to, to go to that, uh, those guys uh, if needed. And, um, you know, hopefully it, it gets Pino some, uh, time to, to work on parts of his game in a match like that, even though going forward, like you said, they'll be DC United. Sure. And Pino will take a little bit of confidence from this game. He saw the back of the net. He got the score once. He forced a very good save uh, late that would have given him a brace. He also missed one just inches wide. Uh, so he was really dangerous throughout the match and uh, could have on another night had a hat trick. But uh, it was... Uh, in the end, it was enough uh, that he got one, and uh, you know Dylan Powers and PC added some 
some uh, a little bit of frosting for the cupcake and uh, made it 3-0 and it was uh, a victory victory for Earl Edwards Jr. getting a run out and um, Orlando City moves on to round five who uh, was your man of the match for the uh, the Open Cup game as much as I want to give it to Powers uh, for scoring the goal it's going to have to be Sasha Kleschen like you said it was a uh, excellent performance from him um, had command of the uh, of the the midfield and uh, fed the attack. So um, it was it was pretty clear uh, that he was going to be my man of the match. Yeah, mine as well. I think it was a no-brainer. He um, he figured in all three goals, had uh, the direct assist on the on the, the latter two and a, a hockey assist on the first one. So uh, you know, not an easy task for uh, to get a veteran to buy in for a U.S. Open Cup game against an NPSL team on the road on AstroTurf. Um, but uh, it was a good good performance for Sasha, and it was good to see uh, him come away with that. Now, that said, Dave, let's turn our attention to Saturday night. And do I, we have to? Yeah, we kind of do, because that's what we do here. Okay. <laughs> but uh, the thing is here, a lot of people are... Well, pretty bent out of shape, Dave, and I can't I can't blame them. It's it's uh, five straight losses after six straight wins. It's it's certainly not the same mood as it would be if it were uh, if the last 11 games had gone win loss win loss win loss. Um, instead, you go win 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 and you loss 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 loss. So it's it gets old. It gets frustrating, especially the last two games where you end up with lopsided score lines in games that were not lopsidedly played. Um, Orlando City was probably the better team. I shouldn't even say probably. The first 45 minutes, Orlando City was a better team. And again, we've seen we've seen this from Patrick McLean when we played Chicago, and we see it uh, against Vancouver with uh, Brian Rowe, the backup goalkeeper there. He makes two pretty big saves early in the game. Uh, and... Next thing you know, Christian Aguita coughs up the ball at midfield, and two passes later, it's in the net. And uh, there you go again. And when the team's on a, when the team's playing well and they're confident and they feel good, and you know that most of the team is healthy and, and in the team, you know, in the lineup, you can rally from that. And you've seen it. We've seen it a number of times this year. When the team is a little bit fragile and is, things have not been going well and maybe they don't have the confidence they had earlier in the year, it's very difficult to come back from those situations. And um, it's, it gets even tougher when uh, Mohamed El Munir takes a, a second yellow card on a, a pretty iffy yellow card on that second one. But he was in that position because he took one in the first half. So, um, yeah. You know, the, the, the thing is, you now you're down 1-0 on the road uh, and you're chasing the game, and that's never good for anybody. No, it's not. And at that point, you're, you're not feeling really great, especially uh, given the, the lack of attack that, uh, that Orlando's had. Um, and, you know, being 10 down or down to 10 men, uh, especially with uh, the way that they were they were coming down the wings on you, you really fear for a uh, a counterattack if you if you do um, try and get that equalizer. Uh, fortunately, um, at least initially, we did, and you had to feel really good about that. Yeah, the interesting thing is uh, Dom Dwyer comes on, and, uh, and then it's one one, <laughs> even down a man. Uh, Tony Rocha with a just a fantastic ball across, um, and uh, Sasha Kleschen, uh 
you know, just gives it a flick on and it goes home. And uh, Sasha Kleshton maybe feeling a little bit of confidence from that uh, Miami United game. And he gets a goal and makes it 1-1 and things look pretty good. Dave, there were only 14 minutes left to go in the game and the game was tied. It was yep. a 1-1 game with 14 to play. Uh, then a crazy play happened that Vancouver takes the lead on a ball that looked like it went over the end line live, but then you could see on the replay it didn't. But there's a player off the field, so is you know is the player offside on the goal? I will I will cop to this. I don't know the exact rule. I don't know if if the player off the pitch was ruled to have not made an honest effort to get back on into the play. I don't know what the ruling was, but the play stood after a review. So I'm not sure. Uh, Josue Coleman was not on the field at that time. He was trying to shield the ball and let it go out for a goal kick um, and uh, just didn't get the job done. And uh, it was saved, and next thing you know, you're pulling it out of your net, and they, the review didn't save anybody, and it's 2-1, and now it's it's uh, you know back to the drawing board, but you've got a chance to still get points on the road when you're down a man. And it, again, you're down a man on the road to get a point is pretty darn good, but Orlando City not able to do that because, uh, well, things happened. And, and let me just stress that it was a 2-1 game with five minutes to go in regular time. Five minutes in normal time, it was a one-goal game. And it ends up three more consecutive goals for Vancouver. Uh, the first on a penalty, which was originally not given. Um, on the replay, you can say, all right, maybe it was a foul. Um, you know, what do you do? You, you shrug your shoulders and you go, whatever, it's 3-1 now. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, the, the team wasn't sitting back. The team was trying to do what it could it was like okay we're down right. two let's see if we can pour some some players forward and get a goal unfortunately against vancouver you're you're playing with fire when you do that any team that likes to counterattack like vancouver or atlanta um you're playing with fire because if you don't get that goal and you cough up the ball you're going to be yanking it out of your net and that's what happened a couple of more times to joe bendick and the, the the late late going um and then a consolation goal pulled back by dom dwyer which was nice to see because um you know he he came on late and you know it's i don't think it's a i don't think that it is a coincidence that this team has had trouble scoring goals without dom dwyer and then he comes back in the game and they score two goals uh which is the first time they've scored two in an mls game since uh the the sixth win in the six win uh six game winning streak yeah no it's it's no coincidence at all uh, you know when they're a better attacking team with dom on the field there's a reason that they paid all the money for him and and he is worth it and thank goodness he is back because hopefully uh that means that we can start scoring some goals again mm-hmm. um you know it it like you said it was so late in the game when when the avalanche happened um uh, what I like is, despite that, I, I felt like, you know, they're they're down a man. They're now down a couple of goals, but nobody gave up. Um, and and you know, okay, there's no such thing as a, uh, uh, you know, um, a victory that's not, you know, that's what they call it, the uh, moral victory. Moral victory, yeah. but um, you still like that the players kept going. I mean, Mueller was a. a a beast all game as far as just he, he's like the energizer bunny out there. He mm-hmm. just keeps going and going. Um, and he, uh, he also had the assist on, on Dom's goal. So um, it, the, going back to the, the 
one that you know we weren't sure if they were offside or not because he was coming from the end line. I think the ruling was that he was not offside because he was still a part of the attack or not a part of the attack or something like that. And so that allowed it to not be offsides. Um, unfortunately, uh, looking at the review on the penalty, yeah, it, it probably was a penalty. Um, you hate that it was, and, and especially cause it wasn't called in live time, but right. And the, and you know, the player went down, it was, it looked like he right. was already going down before the contact was made. So, yeah. So it's, it's, that's one of those things, the, the, VR, VAR gives and VR takes, so uh, it's it, it's just not to be uh, in that game. But uh, like I said, I, if I have to take a positive, it's two things. One, Dom is back and he scored a goal, and two, uh, the team, you know, despite being down late, a couple of goals didn't didn't give up. Yeah, it, it, that's the the key thing to me is, and it's you always get somebody whenever there's a couple of losses in a row, or there's always somebody that makes the comment to us either on Twitter or in the comment section on our website that Jason Christ has lost the team. And that's, that's ridiculous. The team would have been overrun from the get go. Not, not in the last five minutes of the game. If he had lost the team, because the team that doesn't want to play for its coach, doesn't look like that. They don't try. They just kind of walk all over the field. Don't really do a whole lot. And they don't put any effort in. And that's not what I saw. I saw a team that was the better side until it gave up the first goal and then it got a little bit shook. Um, but even so it was able to fight back and get back in the game despite being down a man. And it was, it was pretty obvious to me that the calls were not, not necessarily the foul calls, but the, the bookings were not evenly made. And that, and when I say that, what I mean is there were two pretty key plays that I thought were going to be bookings for Vancouver that neither one were, uh, one of them, you may remember, a player jumped on Josue Coleman's back. Yeah. <laughs> um, that was pretty much a yellow card in my book. And then the other one was Jose Aja reached out his arm and just chokehold, uh, put a chokehold on somebody as they tried to go by him. Now, that's not only a terrible foul and bookable on its own, but it's also he broke up a counterattack, uh, mm-hmm. an attacker from going by him. You know, and creating a dangerous situation. So either one of those by itself should have been yellow. And, you know, Jose got one later in the game. And so that could have changed things toward the end game if he was off as well. So uh, a little bit of disparity there. So I see why Jason Christ was upset with the officiating in that game with the critical calls. And I mean, I, I can I get his frustration. I think we as fans feel the same way. Uh, about some of what we've seen in the officiating column, not this year, not last year, not in the Jason Christ era, but for four years in MLS. We keep we keep hearing that this is going to even out. And every once in a while, there is one call that might go Orlando City's way that maybe it shouldn't <laughs> get. But it's not really evening out. Um, no, it's not coming back around. You're yeah. you're absolutely correct. And, and I like you said... It, even if we don't go all the way back there, even if we go back during Jason's time here, uh, it's a his comments I think are a culmination of the frustration that he's had with the uh, officiating, mm-hmm. and I, I can't necessarily disagree with him on it. I mean, like you said, we're frustrated also. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple points I wanted to bring up, Dave. One of the things is that people were bagging on 
uh, Will Johnson pretty hard. I will say that the goals against Orlando City on the counter, it would not have mattered if Scott Sutter was on the field. And the reason I say that is because, yes, he's a little pacier than Will, but Will wasn't beaten because of pace. He was beaten because he was up the field in the attack when the ball was turned over. And Alfonso Davies is a fast dude. So yes, he is. if he's already getting the ball behind your fullback, it doesn't matter who your fullback is. He's beaten. So the problem for Orlando City was turning the ball over in bad spots. And and you right. can't do that against a counter-attacking a team that's set up and designed to counterattack because they'll kill you. That's what they're waiting for you to do. The, the thing Orlando City did not do well enough is obviously didn't finish chances early and put Vancouver on the back foot because once you do that, you're in pretty good shape against a team like that. The other thing it didn't do is just get the ball in the box. And, and Paul Shaw talked about this on the broadcast on, on TV 27. I, I, I know that uh, people that watched on uh, ESPN Plus, I don't believe got the the local broadcast from from Orlando, but um, don't get me started on that because <laughs> I never ever ever get the Orlando broadcast. But he talked about it. He said, you know, just get the thing in there, you know, fizz a ball in, and if it doesn't get to your guy, so many things can happen. It can go. It can be an own goal. It can fool the goalkeeper. It can take a deflection. A lot of things can happen when when you don't have options the just making an attempt is far better than to turn the ball over with all your teammates up in the attack. And that's Orlando city really struggled with that uh, mm-hmm. against Vancouver, especially in the late going when, when things were well. And, and when it got to four, I thought they should have just basically parked the bus and just tried to, to sit on that. But um you know, the fifth one was hard to take um, because you never want to give up a five spot. Five is, I mean, four is bad enough, but five really looks bad. A goal differential took a huge beating. And, um, you know, luckily Paul, uh, or, or luckily uh, Dom Dwyer was able to pull one back. Uh, and, and so if whether it was 5-2 or 4-1, it ends up with the same goal differential. And, uh, you know, you, you tip your cap to Vancouver. They, they work their game plan and... Um, it worked for them and they got the win and they were at home and they didn't have to travel 3000 miles after playing in the midweek. Uh, and I always thought that this team needed to go in there and get a lead because I figured that there would be some tired legs in the last half hour of the game. But, um, you know, I didn't anticipate being also down a man and, uh, trying to, (laughs) trying to rally from down, uh, down a goal for a second time. So, um, you know, like I said, it's easy to be upset because of five losses in a row. It's easy to be upset because you give up five goals. But if you remember that with just a few minutes to play, you're down a man and you're within a goal, it's it really is misleading. Um, and the, the scoreline was completely flattering to Vancouver. I'm not taking anything away from them. I think Davies played an amazing game, and he was deserving of everything that he got on the night. Uh, because he yeah. was the best player on the field. There was no doubt he was the best player on the field. And the game came to him because of the way it unfolded. If uh, Again, if if you get that early goal, you know, maybe Will Johnson or, or Mueller stick one past Brian Rowe, I think it, it, it unfolds a little bit differently. But I'm still not ready to panic because, the you know, if you go back even a year ago, Orlando City wouldn't have been outplaying the opposition and then getting the first goal scored on them. They would have been being outplayed from the get-go. 
And that's just not how it went. And there were some poor performances. I, I talked last week about how I thought Justin Merrill actually played pretty well at New York City. I will call him out this week because he was terrible at Vancouver. He was absolutely terrible at Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And, I'm, you know, I try to be fair. I like Justin Merrill quite a bit, but uh, I, he was not good. And when uh, when Jason Christ said after the game that he was going to talk talk to some players about how they expect more and they need more, um, I think that's one of the players that he was talking about because Merrim came off pretty early in that game. So um, we move on to Montreal this week, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in just a bit with our special guest. But Dave, do you have a man of the match for Orlando City for the uh, 5-2 uh, drubbing at Vancouver? Yeah, well, I kind of already mentioned it. Um, uh, despite you know Dom coming in and getting the the goal, uh, I I felt that uh, I felt Mueller was my man of the match um, just because, um, like I said, the the kid never stops. Uh, plus, he you know he had the assist. He was a you know a part of what little attack there was all night. He he's all over the place doing whatever he needs to. And uh, you know if uh, on a, on a Night when you got people fouling left and right and and guys getting sent off. If you got somebody that that, that isn't doing that and is also helping in the attack, well, you know he's he's going to get my man of the match. I am going to go with uh, Coleman, uh, despite the fact that he was not able to shield the ball properly to get a goal kick and ended up giving up this, the second goal in a very tough spot with with not much time left to to hold on and get a, a road point. Uh, he was involved with both goals uh, at. Uh, on the Orlando City end, uh, direct assist and a partial, uh, I guess, a hockey assist. So uh, I'm going to go with Coleman. I thought that he was dangerous and he did some good things. And every every game he seems to grow a little bit more and yep. and learn a little bit more and, and get a little bit better. And that's what we want from him because he's 19. And if he keeps doing that for a while, he's going to be pretty darn good. Especially if he gets to play behind Dom Dwyer. Yeah, if he doesn't have to play in place of Dom Dwyer, but gets to play with Dom Dwyer, that will be much more better. Okay. Before we completely leave this topic of Orlando City and get on to some of the, our other topics uh, for a little bit, I want to say that um, Orlando City's – I've heard a lot of people say, well, why can't they win without – or why can't they score goals without Dom Dwyer? Well, the problem was we knew going into this season that striker depth was not good great we thought if Pino works out it it's pretty decent um you also had Mueller kind of slotted in as a as a, a forward at that time it's pretty clear this coaching staff no longer is interested in seeing Chris Mueller at the forward position um it's pretty clear they no longer want to try Justin Merrim at the forward position and you know you've so you've got yourself you know Pino's on the bench you've got Josue Coleman who's not a striker playing striker and the, the reason that other teams can do this is they have other strikers who actually move like strikers. Coleman doesn't move like a striker. When you watch that first goal, you see Mueller was in the middle of the park and Dwyer was on the far part, far post. And just the presence of those two guys, especially Dwyer, really opened up that space for Kleshton to run into to score that goal. It's his movement. And the movement is not only... Not only does it, does it allow Dom Dwyer to score goals, it allows other attacking players to score goals and give them space. And that's what's missing when he's not in there. Now, that's something that I hope the team addresses in the transfer window this summer because it's very important that 
if Dwyer goes back out, they need somebody that can pick up that slack. There's nobody on this sta- uh, uh, the current roster that can do that right now. It was, you know, it was hoped that Pino could translate his skills to the MLS level. He has not done that yet. And that's why you're seeing a team that other people are saying, well, if Giovinco and Altador go out, you know, Toronto can still win games. They have a much deeper team everywhere else, number one. And they also have guys that come in and actually move like a striker and two St. Ricketts and guys like that. So that's the difference that you're seeing. You know, it's Orlando City's the deepest it's ever been in MLS, but that position is not deep. No, it's not. And I agree with you that they, you know, they've decided that um, Mueller is going to be a winger, which uh, he does well out there. I mean, yeah. you know, we said before he's uh, he was an assist. He was the assist king in, in college. So, you know, having him out there doing what he's good at is going to be good for the team, especially. I mean, he's going to get his goals, He's but he's going to get more assists, which is not a bad thing. Um, he's just got to have somebody to get the ball to, which as you said, he hasn't had, um, and I, you know, I think the same with, with Mueller, uh, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't necessarily in a, uh, a striker type either. So, Coleman. You know, well, um, well, you yeah, talked about uh, Mueller first and then you said, and then Mueller. So it's the oh, same guy. <laughs> sorry. I meant, I meant Merrim. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I was going with M, but, uh, and, and no, Coleman is not, although, like you said, he has been improving. Right. Um, but it, it's, it's not his, it's a, it's not his natural position. So I agree. And I think we mentioned it previously when somebody asked, you know, what moves we think need to be made. Uh, first thing out of my mouth was, well, we need, we need another striker. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, fortunately, at least for right now, Dom's back, hopefully that'll help. And which I think it will. I think we saw that in the, at the end of uh, uh, the game at Vancouver, but um, it doesn't doesn't mitigate the need for for more firepower up top. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing I wanted to say before we leave Orlando City for now is that I realize Orlando City's not the tallest team. I realize there's not they're not great in the air necessarily, but can we please, for the love of God, stop taking corners short? Just stop. Just it's killing me. Because it's terrible. It's almost always terrible. I'm not talking about they're not scoring on them. I'm not talking about they're. I'm talking about they're not only not getting even a chance to score off of them, but they often go so hysterically bad that they either end up in a counterattack the other way or just a flat-out turnover. Uh, yeah. And it's just killing me. I mean, again, fizz the ball into the box and see what happens. Yeah, things can <laughs> things can ping pong around and and balls can go in. So, and I'm I'm not a fan of of short corners for anybody. Like none of the teams that I support, when they every time I see a short corner, I, I shake my head because it. You're right. Um, and it's not like we don't have guys that can put the ball into the box from the corner. We've got several that can do that. So why not take the chance? Yeah, delivery's not the problem. It, it's. For whatever reason, they – and I don't know, maybe they are concerned about height and, and aren't, aren't willing to, to do it. I don't know if it's a question thing because question takes a lot of these. It's just – it's not – number one, it's just not fooling anybody. And it's just – it's not that they're – they've come so close so they're going to continue to try it. They haven't even come close. They, these have been terrible. And – I don't know what they're seeing to make them continue trying it. I don't know if they're doing it in practice and it's working, but it's not working in the games and it hasn't even really come close to working in any game this year. So uh, please, 
please ban short corners. Hashtag ban short corners. That's that's all I'm saying. I'm 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 on board with that ban. <laughs> all right, Dave. Let's talk about the United States, the United States women and the United States men. Uh, of course, we're recording this earlier in the week than we normally do, so we're not going to be able to recap both of the U.S. women's matches against China. They opened with a uh, a 1-0 win last week. Of course, the only goal coming from Orlando Pride's own Alex Morgan. And uh, that was a game that went about as I expected. Um, it had been a, a month and a half, I think, since the U.S. women had been together. They didn't really look that great. China stays very compact, very organized, and very disciplined, and they make you break them down uh, with multiple quick movements and passes. And the U.S. was not able to do that, and they didn't look like they were ever going to be able to do that. And then, uh, again, as, as so many hap- so many times we've seen before, the U.S. finally get the breakthrough on a set piece. Uh, great delivery from Rapino that, uh, you know, Morgan gets her noggin on and just uh, powers it into the net for the game's only goal. And it really was, I will say that, I love the game of soccer, but I did not love that game of soccer. It was <laughs> boring. It was not a good game. It was not a well-played game. And, um, yeah, uh, but at least the U.S. won, and at least the Pride's uh, very own Alex Morgan gets the goal. Yeah, I'm I'm good with all of those things. I'll, I'll always take a win. Um, you're right. Uh, China is one of those teams that um, – uh, translates into uh, generally boring soccer matches, uh, but that's that's what they play, and they're pretty good at it. Um, I think if uh, the U.S. Women's National Team has had uh, a little more time together than they did, uh, they'll be able to. You know, the the passes are going to be crisper. They're going to be able to. Uh, the the unspoken communication will be there, and and they'll have an easier time of it. So, and we'll see. Uh, when they play again, but um, regardless, uh, you know, Megan Rapino continues to be um, excellent in uh, generating the attack uh, for the women's national team. Uh, seems again and again she's in on that, and um, fortunately, Alex uh, gets the header, and and hopefully that uh, translates uh, when she comes back to the pride and and gets back on on the the scoring ways that we we want for that. But um, you know, it's it it wasn't ugly, but it's one of those ones where you take the result. Yeah. Uh, Morgan's last two goals for country and club have both been on headers. So uh, I mean, she's, she's gaining a, a little bit of Abby Wambachness in her, uh, in her experienced years. Um, so the U S will take on China again, perfect opponent, by the way, for preparation for world cup, uh, you know, qualifiers, um, you want to play teams that are going to be hard to break down because a lot of teams in CONCACAF especially are going to pack their defensive third and force the U.S. to try to break through them. And so China mm-hmm. is probably a much better team at doing that than anyone in CONCACAF. So um, this is a good test for them, good test ahead of the uh, Tournament of Nations and a good opportunity to get to see some uh, some new faces. Uh, McCall Zerboni uh, played pretty well. Uh, for the U.S., and, and she's getting a look, and that's good to see. And um, we'll see if some of the other uh, players, uh, you know, that haven't got as much experience can get some some more minutes. One bad note, though, from last week, and we don't know what her situation is, but uh, apparently Ashlyn Harris injured her hip in training with the U.S. 
and she did not dress last uh, week for the game. I don't know if she'll dress uh, tonight as this drops on a Tuesday. Uh, we'll wait and see, and we'll see if we get any more update on her health. Uh, because if she can't go, it looks like Haley Kopmeyer is going to be the pride keeper for a bit, and um, we don't really have any more information on Harris at this time. So we'll move on to the U.S. men, and a young U.S. men's side goes to France and plays... I mean, I don't know about you, Dave, but when I saw France's lineup, I just, like, I, I just, like, I was exasperated. Like, how, yeah. is, how is this U.S. team going to play on the field with this team? And the U.S. decided to go uh, with their not-in-the-face lineup. Uh, please <laughs> don't hurt us lineup. <laughs> with a five-man back line and three defensive midfielders. Uh, and uh, decided to try to ride it out and keep it respectable and maybe try to hit uh, for an unexpected goal. And that's exactly what happened because it was completely one-way traffic throughout the game, and yet right at the death of the first half, uh, you get Julian Green to just turn and fire on a misplayed ball in the box and uh, makes it 1-0 to the U.S. And unfortunately, the U.S. could not... Uh, could not keep away every single wave of attack France uh, sent. M- Mbappé finally uh, scored a goal on a nice build-up that Cameron Carter-Vickers really just about played, just about was able to get a deflection on, but he just wasn't quite able to, to reach back and get that. A great run uh, staying on, on Carter-Vickers' back shoulder. And um, France gets the, the draw. 1-1 is the first time the U.S. has ever scored on France and the first time the U.S. has ever gotten a positive result. And it was not only impressive, Dave, to me that they got both of those firsts, but they got them in France, in Lyon, and got them with a basically a U23 lineup. Against France's... World Cup team. Yeah, a, a team that you look at that on paper and you say, this team can win the World Cup. Yeah, it was <laughs> like you. I was, I, you know, I was kind of just of the mind of, okay, you know, they'll go in there. We'll probably get our butts beat, but, you know, it's more time at international play uh, for these guys. They'll get the opportunity to, you know, see some of the better players in the world and play against them and mm-hmm. get the experience <laughs> and then the unthinkable happens and they go up one nil and they're already in a defensive you know, position for most of the game. So it was, uh, it, I mean, it wasn't until the 79th minute that, that France equalized. Yeah. And, so and <laughs> you're right. And Zach Steffen didn't really have to make a lot of tough saves until the end of the game. When the, when the U S was just dragging and trying to hang on for dear life, uh, he had to make a, a big save on a set piece and then mm-hmm. uh, a, a double save uh, right at the death of the game. But other than that, he didn't really have to make a ton of big saves. Uh, and part of that is France missing the net a few times when they probably shouldn't have um, a little bit uncharacteristically, off target for especially Griezmann, uh, but it it was fantastic experience and minutes for guys like Anthony Robinson, Weston McKenney, Shaq Moore, um, you know Miazga, Carter Vickers, uh, Tim Parker was maybe man of the match for the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a a great showing for those guys, and um, it was it was a terrible game for Bobby Wood, but I thought Julian Green uh, was either invisible or he, you know, most of the game he was invisible, but when he did pop up, he really 
was popping up in good spots. So it was a, it was a kind of a, a, an up and down day and inconsistent performance from Julian green, but um, just really important minutes for a lot of guys. Well, not to mention that uh, the speaking of the onslaught at the end, um, Stefan not having to do much until then, but with, when it did happen, he was he was there. He was making the saves, um, and you've got to feel good about that. Uh, you know, going forward, if you, if you've got a guy uh, like that um, that is can be that next uh, U.S. goalkeeper who, you know, traditionally have U.S. has had pretty decent goalkeepers. Um, you know, uh, you've got guys that have gone and played in Europe, and for a long time that was about the only guys that ever got over there. So um, you got to feel good for him. You have to feel excellent about the result. Um, you know, if, if you had told any U.S. fan that, uh, hey, you're going you're gonna to draw with France in France right you know, before the World Cup, they'll be like, and with, like you said, your under-23 squad, you're going to go, all right, I'll take it. Exactly. Um, I, I'm, I'll tell you right now, I'm okay with – Never again seeing the old guard of goalkeepers. I'm okay with Zach Steffen being number one right now for the Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. He looks like he's ready. Let's not stun his growth. Let's not stick him behind Brad Guzan. Let's let's turn it over to Zach and and, Mm -hmm. and get on with it. That's that's my opinion. Um, Guzan, there's nothing wrong with Guzan as a shot stopper. I've never been a big fan of his distribution. Um, And he every now and then just does something that makes you scratch your head but um yeah i'm ready for the zach the zach stefan era is uh, i'm all about that yeah i'm i'm ready for a lot of i'm ready for a lot of new guys era right now um it's like we said before there's we have four years until the next one let's get these guys in minutes let's let's let them develop and you know just take everything as a building opportunity and forget the old guard yeah all right, so the U.S. is done until the, I think the next scheduled game is against Mexico on September 11th. Um, they, of course, uh, most of the world is off to the well, not most of the world, but many all soccer eyes will be on the World Cup in just a few days. Uh, so uh, I thought that was a good a good little run of games for the United States. And the United States has, uh, of course, um, setting its eyes on some tougher competition. And I like that. I I think this team should be playing friendlies against Argentina and Brazil and the European teams. I think that that's, that's where you want to go to, to, you know, obviously some of those games are going to be pretty lopsided, but you want to get to that level. You're going to have to play that level. And, and I thought that the, this, this was a good set of games. The, the trip to Ireland and France and, and, you know, even, even though Bolivia couldn't send a stronger side, it was good to, to, play South American co- competition as well. I'd like to see more Conmey Bowl, um, you know, uh, opposition for the U.S. So uh, we move on. The The men are done with their little break. The women will play China again before the uh, players are released to back to the NWSL teams. And uh, then we'll get back to some Orlando Pride soccer. Um, one other note, the well, actually a couple other notes. I think since we last talked, Ernie Stewart became the GM of the U.S. Men's National Team. Uh, yes, because that had not happened yeah. uh, when we last spoke. Yep. So I, I don't really have anything much to say about it other than I'm interested to see how he does and what he even is responsible for, and um, yeah. you know how how the uh, the coaching search goes. Um, I've kind of. I've kind of, Dave, come to the conclusion that I'd really 
like to see Greg Berhalter get the job. Okay, I could I could be on board with that. Um, I, I just like you, I, I don't know what uh, his role is going to be, what this job that he he just got is. So. Uh, Tell me what that is before you know we make any decisions <laughs> or anything like that. You know, let's uh, line that out for me, and then we can talk about it. Um, uh, Berhalter, I think that that'd be a great choice. Um, you know, uh, Tatam would be good, uh, but it, it's at least at least there's movement now, um, and you can feel like we can argue about whether it's good movement or bad movement, mm-hmm. but at least you know things are happening, and um, I like what. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, going with this younger lineup and letting these guys develop, I think is the absolute right move right now. You know, sorry, old guard, you had your, your chance. You let uh, you let us down, honestly. If we're going <laughs> to be truthful, um, you know, you, 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 you didn't go out and do what you should have done. So, um, you know, let's let's move forward with these new guys. And, and I, I eagerly await to uh, uh, to see who the next coach is going to be. Exactly. Speaking of coaches, uh, it's been long rumored that both New York MLS teams will lose their coaches, and it did happen to New York City FC officially today with uh, Patrick Vieira taking on the job in League One for Nice. So uh, he'll go to a new job, and uh, New York City FC uh, will turn to Dominic Torrent, uh, who was an assistant under Pep Guardiola. Uh, he will now be the new New York City FC head coach. That will be an interesting story to watch, whether he, whether he comes in and changes much uh, or tries to keep everything sort of consistent. Um, certainly, you know, a team like New York City in the running for, you know, hardware this year, you don't want to see that your coach leave in the middle of the season. Uh, well, not even the middle of the season, not even the midway point yet. Um but Vieira leaves uh, for Nice, and he's gone. And um, you know, I, I just think there's really not a whole lot to say about it, other than until we until we really see what New York looks like under Dominic Torrent. Absolutely. Although um, you know, we did mention before when we we talked about the rumor that uh, I wanted it to happen because anytime you disrupt stuff, hopefully uh, it it creates havoc at the at that other team. And I would love to see New York be uh, be up in the air a little bit uh, as they're adjusting to a new coach and and hopefully that can mean some good things for Orlando City. Mm, yeah, we'll see. The 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 funny or interesting thing that I took from today is I was doing a little research and saw that Patrick Vieira leaves without a single not only without a single win in the domestic cup here. He uh, he went 0 and 3 in the US Open Cup, but his team didn't even score a goal, Dave, in 3 years of US Open Cup. He, uh, they lost 1-0 to New York Cosmos, 1-0 to New York Red Bulls, and 4-0 to New York Red Bulls. So outscored 6-0 without a win, without a goal uh, in uh, you know in New York City's U.S. Open Cup history. And U.S. Open Cup history has not been kind to New York City. They have not won a single game in U.S. Open Cup because uh, when Jason Christ was there, they actually drew and then lost on penalties uh, in their fourth round game in 2015. So... Uh, Jason Christ actually did better uh, in the U.S. Open Cup at New York City <laughs> with a worse team than Patrick Vieira did. Well, you know, that's uh, – and he'll never get the chance to change that. Well, I don't I say never, but, you know, we don't know. But most likely he'll never get the chance to change that. Uh, it's, a, it's a very interesting statistic that, uh, I, you know – 
I, I I saw it when you when you posted that. I was kind of amazed. It, it's one of those things that um, most people wouldn't even think to uh, to look up. So good job. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, oh Vera, we we knew you too well. Um, good luck in Nice because. I'm glad you're no longer in New York. <laughs> yeah, the thing that really made me think about it was that people kept giving his record. as like, oh, he leaves New York City with such and such a record. And I was like, I noticed nobody's talking about the Open Cup. And that's usually <laughs> like, I mean, because I was thinking, well, usually they talk about when a coach, they talk about what trophies he's won, what, you know, what his, what his uh, record is in the league, what his record is in domestic cups and that kind of thing. And well, I don't see anything on the domestic cups. Well, I went and looked it up and I was like, wow. I did not know that New York City had never won a U.S. Open Cup game, but um, and that's why they didn't talk about it. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, um, hey, good luck in Nice, Pat. That's uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll get some fantastic croissants over there. <laughs> We're very happy for you. Yes. Um, All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our first segment, Dave. I think we're going to bring in our special guest to talk about the um, Orlando City at Montreal Impact match as the Lions look to snap a god-awful streak and shut people up because... I can't take it, Dave. I'm, I know I'm an old guy. I'm old and get off my lawn and all of that. But come on, just have a, we we warned you people not to get too high during the six yep. game winning streak. And now we're warning we you not to get too low. The truth is somewhere in the middle. The truth of this team is somewhere in the middle. So um, that's where we're at. And uh, I will. Uh, I will say that uh, we were fortunate because <laughs> I looked at Sunday and I went, oh, man, there's a game for the U.S. women on Tuesday. There's a game Wednesday night. We got to record this podcast on Monday. And I was thinking we're not going to get a guest at this point. Um, the team was flying, uh, chartering a flight to uh, to Montreal today as we record this in the evening. And I just thought it's probably not going to happen that we'll get a lion. Um, the, the, the pride are kind of scattered because it's the international break. Not really sure if we can get somebody there in a short notice. So, Hey, why not? Let's, uh, let's reach out and see if we can get somebody who knows a little bit about the Montreal impact. And we'll talk to us about that team. We'll get to that interview right after this. Okay, joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, we're happy to have with us from Mount Royal Soccer, one of the uh, fine soccer writers at our uh, fellow SB Nation site that covers the Montreal Impact. Uh, welcome to the show, Paul Vance. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, guys. It's really nice to be on. So, Paul, I know that uh, Orlando City started off very hot and now has hit a very cold streak, but... Um, the impact sort of haven't really hit their stride at really at any point so far this season. What is going on with the impact and why are we hearing so much talk about perhaps uh, Ignacio Piatti going elsewhere? Yeah, I, I, I guess, and you're right, you guys, uh, I was just looking at your form there um, tonight and I think you five defeats in a row after six straight wins, which is, which is an incredible turnaround the wrong way. Um, we have we in in Montreal have had a pretty poor season throughout. Um, so maybe you know if we'd had had the five wins that you'd had, um, we'd probably be feeling a lot better about a lot of things. Um, 
So Montreal has won four matches out of 15 this season. Um, and if you go back to last season, they've actually lost 20 out of their last 25. Um, so more specifically uh, in what you asked about uh, Ignacio uh, Piatti, obviously um, he's a star player in the team um, and he's probably one of the most coveted players around the league, although probably his age goes against him now that he's, he's, he's 33. But he is on a big salary. And um, when you look around the rest of the, the impact side, Buddy is not there. Um, so the, the rumours about Piatti potentially moving, I personally don't think he will, but the rumours about Piatti uh, potentially moving um, are all centred around um, the potential of bringing some money in so that they can strengthen the, the, the other departments in the team. Uh, I think Remy Gard has also said that there hasn't been enough or there isn't enough talent uh, in the side. And he's been pilloried a little bit by the press uh, up in Montreal for that. But um, the two occasions where he's really called players out publicly, if you like, or called his team out publicly this season, They've turned around and won the next game, so um, I'm not so so annoyed about that because some of the criticism is absolutely justified. Some of the performances uh, by by some individual players and the, the team in general has just not been been good enough. And I think the front room or the front office, if you like, uh, at the impact this season, they've, they've actually gone on record saying they thought. Um, they had a squad good enough, and and then you had Remy Gard coming in in his first go at uh, at MLS, if you like, um, and probably like a lot of Europeans, uh, to be fair, has probably underestimated the league. Um, so you have all that coming together, and um, I think uh, the the Piatti thing came from the uh, the owner. Um, Joey Saputo on the day that they had just lost I think it was 2-0 against uh, Philadelphia at home and it was a, a pretty awful performance so maybe Joey was talking with a little bit of anger with a little bit of emotion and I, I'm, I don't know if he regrets what he said or not but uh, maybe maybe in a more sort of level footing um, that might not have come out on radio um, 10 minutes after the game like it did, if you like. Now, uh, you, you mentioned that the team turned around and, and was able to win some games after being called out. Um, what do you think it was? Um, was it the being called out? Was it just a motivation thing? What was it in those games that allowed them to get the win? I, I don't know because, you know, some of the some of the press have given Remy Gard a hard time for, for criticising the side and, and saying that there's not enough talent there. Um, but the next few games, they, they don't look like a team that's not playing for their coach. Um, I, I would say the quality is not not amongst the ranks of the uh, of the players. Um, and they they need they desperately need some quality um, brought in, but but I think everyone's going out there and and they're doing their best and they're and they're trying to make things work. Um, the the funny thing when they when they defeated uh, New England Revolution four two in, in a game where Piatti was absolutely uh, incredible, and two of the goal scorers that day, Anthony Jackson Hamel got two and Raheem Edwards one, and they were two of three players that were. Um, specifically mentioned um, at the training press conference in midweek um, earlier that, that that week, if you like, um, and they certainly came up trumps when they were given a chance in in, in the game. 
Um, but maybe a word about um, Piatti as well. Actually, his, his performance that day was absolutely wonderful and it got him uh, Player of the Week. But it's been like a bit of a curse, I think, because he's done very, very little since. Um, and teams have kind of, I don't know whether they've found him out. I, I, I wouldn't say that. I, I still think he's a he's an excellent footballer and certainly amongst the top five in the league. But he's not had too much success since he won that award. Uh, well, Paul, we haven't seen Montreal yet this year. What are some of the team's biggest problems, I guess, on the field in terms of positionally or what, or maybe tactically? And what is it about the team that is actually strong? Well, they were leaking a lot of goals, and and uh, at different, they've had up to to five centre backs, um, believe it or not. Um, injured this season um, and that's all on the back of, of letting uh, Laurent Simon go to Los Angeles um, so the guy that they brought in Zachariah Diallo um, from France um, to, to replace uh, Simon um, Diallo um, done his Achilles um, just before the season started he played all the pre-season and in training um, leading up to the opening game he, he done his Achilles he's now back in Montreal after some recuperation in France so um, he's getting again towards fitness but Kyle Fisher um, ha- has been out with an operation Cabrera is now injured also um, we've had Rod Fanny who was brought in from Marseille as gap and his contract actually runs out this month but he's been a, a hell of a steadying influence for the for the team at the back but he's also been injured too and so has another player that they brought from Belgium um, he came with a bit of a fanfare and a, and a sort of big money signing um, Camacho um, and uh, Rudy Camacho really has played three games he hasn't been fully fit He's missed probably the next five or six because of his lack of fitness. And he came back and played on on uh, Saturday night. It was his first game in maybe six weeks. Um, and uh, I felt he did okay, considering you would have expected him to, you, you'd have expected him to be ring rusty. Um, he's a he's a player that likes to to, to carry the ball out of defence. And and I thought he did okay but still question marks over his defensive um, ability. So the one thing I would say, though, is that they've, they've tightened things up a little bit at the back. Um, they've conceded eight goals in the last six games. In the previous five, they conceded 18. But the problem now is they're not scoring. They've scored one goal in their last six um, so uh, last six games. Mm-hmm. So, so the problem really at the moment is, 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 is up front. Now, you could have been talking about Orlando City there when you're talking about uh, going through center backs because we've been having to deal with the same thing. Um, that being said, what do you think uh, going into these matches is uh, opportunities for Montreal against uh, the uh, Orlando? Well, I, I think that there are opportunities because uh, Montreal, and I don't, only mean this season. Montreal, since they came into the league six, seven years ago, um, have been a different side at home than they've been on the road. Their, their, their form on the road pretty much every season has been poor. Um, but I think they always believe they can win at home. Uh, and if you look at their home record this year, it's not great. They've played six, but they've won three and lost three. Um, so for me, the game on Wednesday night's pretty much a, pretty much a toss up. There's a there's a couple of things I would say as well. I always fear when Montreal are coming up against uh, Dominic Dwyer, 
because he scored an awful lot of goals against Montreal in the past. Um, obviously not for you guys, but for previous clubs. Um, he's got nine goals against Montreal Impact, believe it or not. So he's a player that um, I think traditionally does well against us, as is Sasha Kleston as well. Um, maybe not so much in the goal scoring, but he's always been a pretty influential player in, in games between the two clubs. But Montreal will, will, will believe that they can win uh, on, on Wednesday. Um, they'll have Piatti back. They um, they left him on the bench on, on Saturday, so perhaps carrying a um, a little bit of a niggle. Um, but uh, they they decided not to risk him on Saturday. I would expect that, that he would start the game on on Wednesday, and he, he's got a decent record against you guys too. I think he scored three in the last two and five overall. And um, if Montreal are going to win the game, um, I think he needs to be on song. The the only other player um, maybe I, I should mention in that respect is uh, is Jason Vargas, twenty um, year old Chilean. He scored four goals this season, and it's his first year in MLS. Um, now uh, Jason actually with Montreal's had three one nil wins, and he's been the goal scorer each time. And this might sound a little bit strange, but he doesn't contribute much to a game if he hasn't if he doesn't score. <laughs> um, and and I know that. A, there's a lot of great goal scorers like that, but we've we've had him playing in midfield out of necessity. We've had him up front. Um, he is young. He is talented. He's fantastic from a dead ball. Um, he's possibly in the Javingo class dead ball. Maybe not quite yet, but um, he's off that ilk. Uh, but doesn't really contribute enough um, to 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 a ninety minutes, if you like. Um, but he gets a chance. Um, uh, there, there, there's every chance that, um, that that he'll take it. So, Paul, what do you see as the the big matchup, the the big uh, key matchup? Uh, what what needs to happen for Montreal to win, and, and what needs to happen for Orlando City to win? Well, I think Montreal need to continue. Um, Montreal need to continue what what they've been doing at the back in in recent games. Like like I've said, they've, they've kind of shored the back line up, um, and they need to build on on that. Um, uh, and and it's been pretty steady for the for the last half dozen games. Montreal got to stick the ball in the net as as as. Um, so, so that's absolutely key. They've been fairly solid in midfield at, 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 in in recent games too, but still not creating enough. They've got Safir uh, Taider there, the Algerian international, and um, there's not an awful lot there for for him to play with. Um, they've brought in Silva from uh, Uruguayan from from Lanús in, in Argentina, and he's not really been a hit so far. So Tider is, is 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 tending to try and do everything in midfield himself, along maybe with 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 Sam Piet, who who's who's a local lad who's done exceptionally well, um, and in fact captained the team uh, on Saturday. And he he's someone that that's had to win me over because I wasn't quite sure about him. Um, last season, but he's been a very, very consistent performer for Montreal over over most of the course of of, of this season. Um, I think they need to. Is, is Dom Dwyer fit? Yeah, he played uh, the last half. Uh, well, about the last half hour uh, at at Vancouver the other night, so he should be, um, you know, getting back getting back his match fitness. Well, he, he's somebody that probably concerns Montreal when you when you think of his his, his previous record um, against us, and uh, 
you know, really, I, I think if if I think if you guys can keep a clean sheet, you, you'd probably go on and sneak the win. But I honestly think this game is 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 too close to 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 call, and and I see as well both managers have had sort of um, their trials and tribulations with referees um, over the last sort of few games as well, and I, I've seen. Uh, I've seen Jason Christ uh, talk about the lack of respect that that um, Orlando have have had from referees in recent games, and you know I look back to what happened actually on Saturday evening down at uh, Dallas for 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 Montreal, where the the first goal was a, a horrible decision. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I was going to say a horrible decision by the referee, but actually the officials on the field got the decision right, uh, and the VAR referee um, uh, overturned it. And, and the referee in the field um, didn't even go to take a look, and, and actually the VAR referee got it wrong. Um, and I would suggest that maybe he got the penalty kick decision wrong too, because it looked look, looked like a coming together of two players, and and um, I wasn't sure that uh, there was enough in it to call a to call a penalty kick. But um, it's interesting to hear the the two managers um, in in the same sort of um, the same sort of predicament with with, with referees. So I guess that what we're saying is that uh, it depends on how the referees are feeling that night as to whether it's uh, Orlando's night or Montreal's night. Yeah, well, not really. I, I don't really want to make it a thing about referees, and, and, and I don't really like going on about referees. But, I, I, you know, I really do feel that this was a, this, this is a hard one to call. Um, I think in the, the four previous encounters, Montreal have won two and drawn one um, in, in Montreal. Um, but I, ca- calling a win for Montreal at the minute is is very difficult um, because they've been so um, poor in so many games and, and inconsistent in others. Um, there are signs that they're getting a bit of solidity at the back, which is obviously something good. But, um, you know, the form that, that Orlando had early season, if they can reproduce that. And, and in fact, if we were having this conversation maybe five weeks ago, <laughs> you know, I, I would be very, very clearly um, predicting an away win um, on, on Wednesday night, but I think it's I think it's much more uh, of a level of a level game at the, you know now right now where we are in the season. Yeah, a bit of a toss up with the form of these two clubs for sure. Before we let you get out of here, Paul, uh, just kind of curious as to what's going on with Dominic Oduro and uh, Matteo Mancosu. Uh, Oduro is a guy who's had some success against the uh, against Orlando City in the past, and uh, is a guy whose speed has always been, you know, something that uh, coaches have fallen in love with. Doesn't seem like Remy Gard is a big fan of his, and, and Mancosu mm-hmm. came with a little bit of fanfare, I think, but um, hasn't quite seemed to uh, consistently reach those levels. What can you tell us about those two players? <laughs> Yeah, you know, Dom is um, Dom's a very popular player at, at, at the Impact. He's probably been popular everywhere he goes because he's just that sort of guy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, lots and lots of pace. Um, maybe not the most technically gifted. And, and uh, the new manager at, at uh, the Impact, Remy Gard, is, is very much into um, players' technical abilities. So, um, actually, when I heard that he, that he was the, the, the new manager, I thought Dom might have been one of the, the, the players that might have struggled to um, to retain a spot in the team. But it's it's not even a case of retaining a spot in the team. He, he's he's often not not even been in the 18. And when he has gotten a run, he's had maybe 10 minutes at the at the most. Um, there are there are there are fans at, at the impact. 
because things have gone so badly, have the opinion that, that, that maybe he should have gone with Dominic in a few of the games simply because of his pace might have upset um, the opposition. But uh, Remy Gard's pretty much um, stuck to his guns. On Man Kosu, he, he's been injured for a fair part of this season. But I think, I think if you look through his first year when he came to the club, he actually did quite well. And, and he actually um, he won his place over Drogba towards the end of that season that, that Montreal went into the playoffs and, and deservedly so. Um, but last season, he, he, he didn't perform as well. And the opportunities he's had this season, he, he's not been great. He started off okay in the first couple of games, but um, again, he's not maybe the tech of the technical ability that, that Remy Gard uh, requires. Um, like I say, he likes to, to, to work with very technical players like he did at Olympic Lyon and in the young players that he developed there and brought through. So I, I would say that uh, the two players that you've just mentioned, because of the you know their, their technical abilities, um, is, is, is what's really going against them. And Remy Gard sits down with a piece of paper to pick a team. All right, Paul. Where can uh, where can our listeners find you and your writing on uh, on the inter- internet? You can get me at Paul Vance sixty three. All right, that's on Twitter. That's on Twitter, yeah. Uh huh. And then they can catch you over at mountroyalsoccer.com. dot com. They can and they can get they can get me at mountroyalsoccer dot com exactly. All right, uh, Paul Vance, a writer for Mount Royal Soccer, our SB Nation. Uh, site covering the Montreal Impact. Thank you so much for being with us and on short notice uh, this week, and um, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. It's a pleasure, guys. Enjoy the game Wednesday night, but not too much. All right. That was, uh, was pretty good. It was pretty good to have Paul come on and talk to us about the impact. I have to admit, I've seen one Montreal game this year. I've tried to catch them more often because I love to watch uh, Ignacio Piatti play, but uh, mm-hmm. I was not, I had just haven't been able to see them much this year for, I don't even know why I, I, I probably saw them. I probably saw 10 of their games last year. I'm just not doing it this year. <laughs> just, it's not getting done. Uh, so anyway, thanks to Paul who, who brings us a great stat, by the way. Um, in addition to something that he wanted to mention when we had him on, but he, he, once we got off the phone, he sent me an email right away and said that Montreal, believe it or not, has gone 35 MLS games without a draw. The last time that the Montreal Impact drew a game, 3-3, last June, against Orlando City. But of course. <laughs> He says, certain to be a draw now, and who am I to argue with that? All right, Dave, um, as we uh, as we move into the stoppage time portion of our podcast here, uh, it is time for the mailbag, I think. Let's do it. Let's see what everybody has to say. Uh, it's going to be a small uh, mailbag, I think, this week because of the early... Uh, recording, but uh, you can do it t- two ways. You can you can uh, access us, if you will, um, a couple of ways. You can uh, hit us up on Twitter. We are at the mainland, and you hit us up with the hashtag #AskTMLPC. The other way to do it is you can email us the mainland at gmail.com. So those are two ways you can reach us, and uh, we would love to answer any question you have. It doesn't have to be soccer related. 
So with that said, let's get to the questions. All right. Um, Hector wants to ask, uh, says, yo, PC peeps, do we get another center belt <laughs> or stick with what we have? Also, what is Saratich's best position and who loses his job if we sign him? Thanks. Um, so I'll go first on this one, I guess. Um, I don't know that Orlando City will sign another center back unless someone has a long-term injury. Everybody seems to be coming back in the near future. And it's hard to imagine that you would get, and I'm knocking wood furiously right here. It's hard to imagine you would have two separate situations where you lose four guys. Um, we already know Amro Tarek's not going to the World Cup. Um, Lamine Sané should be rejoining the I mean, he's with the team. He should be getting back to match fitness soon. Jonathan Spector could start on Wednesday. Um, and Chris Schuler is going to play through his broken arm, apparently. So I think, and I think Tony Rocha has shown that he can actually step into that spot and, and make some spot starts. So I don't think that another center back will come this summer. I think that they really have to, they really have to buckle down and find a veteran striker uh, that knows how to move and can stick the ball in the back of the net. I think that's what's going to have to be the priority um, for this uh, for this window. And if there's anything else going on in this window, maybe it's the sale of Chris Nagita uh, while his stock is high. I don't know, but um, you know something like that could happen. But I, I don't see center back being a, a big thing. Uh, if Sertich is available. I don't know that the cap room is there unless somebody gets moved because uh, he's not going to be cheap. And I know he's come over here and he hung out with Dom Dwyer. There was some Instagram stuff there. Um, he went to the game in Miami. So, you know, where there's a lot of people saying, and it's, he's been a guy that's been rumored to come into Orlando city twice in, in two prior windows. So, you know, it's, it's no wonder people are looking at that and taking notice. Um, I think for MLS, his, his spot would probably be on the, on the back line, be center back. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. And, and because of that, um, I'm, I'm in agreement with you that the, I don't think they make any center back moves, uh, especially now that, you know, guys are coming back and Jonathan Spector seems to be, um, healthy from the, the concussion. Um, there's, it's not a point of need, uh, especially, given all that we've you know, already spoken about in regards to uh, the striker position and getting somebody else. So I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you on that. Um, uh, Sertic would be a center back, and as I just mentioned, because of I don't see the need there, uh, especially with the amount of money he would demand, I, 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 wouldn't, I don't see it happening. Now, that being said, we are hardly ever right about what Jason Christ does. <laughs> so, you know, who knows, he'll probably be in purple and, you know, it, before we know it. So I think if they could make it work, he's a player that they've been after a long time. If they could make it work, it might involve moving one of the center backs currently on the team out of the team. Um, and I don't know who that would be. Maybe Sané. Um, I don't know. I don't know who it would be. I don't know who would lose their job, quite honestly. Um, but it would be interesting. It'd be interesting to check it out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so thanks, Hector, for the for the question. Uh, well, let's go to David. David also for, on Twitter. Uh, what's the likelihood relegation is brought to MLS? What would need to happen for that to take place? Would it be good for American soccer? Dave, let's uh, let's let you do this first. <laughs> um, no uh, promotion re- re- relegation is not uh, coming to MLS anytime soon. The reason is very simple. Um, the MLS uh, has uh, vested interest in all the current MLS teams. There's essentially it's a buy-in, and um, the part of the reason that uh, people build the the owners are building stadiums and doing that is a commitment that they are going to be in MLS and be able to hopefully. Uh, recoup that money if you were to introduce promotion relegation um, there's a chance that they lose a lot of money and right now the money is talking Um, could it happen in the future maybe Uh, it would take uh, it would take a whole lot of stuff in the lower leagues you know doing more and having uh, you know better attendance and all kinds of things but uh, Currently, no, I, I don't see it happening as much as a lot of people want it to happen. The financial realities are going to prohibit it from occurring. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it's happening anytime soon. And uh, to again, you've got a group of people with a lot of money. They don't want to lose a lot of money, so they're not going to do anything they don't have to do. So it would be very difficult to change the system to make it happen. Um, I don't know that it would be good or bad for American soccer to have pro rel. I think that um, it's a it's a different system, but I don't necessarily think it's better or worse. I don't uh, I don't see it as better or worse than than the system that's in place. And, uh, you know, the, the main thing that you need is not necessarily teams trying to move up or down. I think the main thing you need is a is a tiered system like baseball has where you've got places where players can develop move up when they're ready and and, and continue to, to to move up uh to whatever level that they you know they ultimately reach i think that's all you really need to have a successful um you know professional sports league in this country we've seen it in in you know other sports um what would need to happen for that to take place is an interesting question david um i think first first and foremost you can never have it until MLS is no longer a single entity and single entity is my biggest problem with MLS. It is, it is, um, I think that the reason that MLS can be so opaque about so many of the things that it does is because of the single entity. I think that the reason that we, we don't know more about the inner workings is because they don't really need to share any of it. Um, and none of that stuff is leaking out from, you know, you know, typically if you have another league anywhere else in the world, it, the have nots tend to leak out a lot of the stuff that the haves don't want you to know. But right. in MLS, it's not quite that way because everybody buys in and they're all kind of co, I guess, investors, if you will. So I think single entity needs to break up not only um, because it would um, – that would enable not only the the system to be able to be changed, but also uh, then you would have 
the opportunity to partner with the with the tier two leagues and that kind of thing. And, and teams could move up and down because you wouldn't be tied uh, to a league or excluded from a league. So I think that a single entity would need to go. The other thing that would need to happen is that you'd have to have buy-in from the really wealthy owners, the the um, you know the Arthur Blanks. Right. And the, and the city football groups. Those are the teams that would need to really lead that and say, yeah, we want this because we know we're going to spend enough money to where our team's not going to go down. Um, and then, you know, the, the teams that are in danger of going down or the, the teams that don't want to spend and that kind of thing, they're going to have to fight for scraps just like, you know, the, just like you see in the EPL. You, you, you start the year and, it, you know, if you take away the Leicester City, um, you know, aberration – you don't see there's certain teams you just know going into EPL season they're not going to win the EPL there's just no way they're going to do it right so that's what you're going to get here and personally I don't like that I actually kind of like the parity that we have I like the the not knowing from year to year who's going to be up and who's going to be down you have teams make the MLS Cup final and then the next year don't make the playoffs that's that's more interesting to me now of course it would be even more interesting to me if Orlando City was one of those teams that were actually getting to the MLS Cup <laughs> final, but that hasn't happened yet. So, uh, David, thank you so much for the question. It's a good one, and uh, we appreciate it. Um, staying on Twitter, Ryan Smith would like to know. He says, "Friend of the pod here." So everybody's, you know, everybody's friend of the pod now. It's, well, we really is, started something, didn't I, we? I know what our T-shirt is going to be when we All release right. it. Friend of the podcast is definitely going to have to be a T-shirt. Uh, need to know what one player you would sell in the summer window and who would you go get with that money? Who? Um, well, we kind of already mentioned it and it's not that I, I would want to sell him just kind of the, the bang for the buck right now is, is going to be, uh, the money that you could potentially get for Christian Higuita. So, um, as far as who you go get with that, um, you know, we've already got Yuri here. Uh, I would, I would go for a striker. Now, who that would be, I haven't thought about it yet, to be honest. So uh, it, would, it would all depend on, on who's available, which I haven't looked at. But if, if I was to do something, it would be to get as much money as I could for Higita and then go find a, go find a striker. All right. So I'm going to throw this out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be bold and just throw this out. Ooh. There. All right. Here's what I'm doing. I'm taking Christian Higita. I'm taking a guy that hasn't quite fit or settled into this lineup yet in Justin Merrim. I'm taking, okay. I'm taking Merrim. I'm taking Aguita. I'm taking maybe some other assets, future consideration type things. And I'm saying, Montreal, we'll take that Ignacio Piatti off your hands. Oh, okay. Now, I don't know if Orlando City has enough resources to pay down Sasha Kleschen's contract below DP level to accommodate that. But if so, I would do that yesterday. Of course, I can't do that yesterday because not number one, I'm not in charge, and number two, <laughs> the window's not open. Right. <laughs> but yeah, that's two, what I those would are do. two big strikes against you. Yes. Yeah, but I think that that would cure a lot of Orlando City's problems because Piatti is not only as adept at setting up his teammates as Question uh, and Merrim, those two types but also much more adept at putting the ball in the net. Yeah, it's, uh, that would be ideal, but, uh, you know, it's, wow, that's an interesting one. It, it, now you got me thinking about that, whether that would even be, uh, even be possible. Um, and, and if Montreal would want to, I mean, 
if Montreal would even want to give him up, which one would think they wouldn't, but <laughs> no, they shouldn't want to, but they shouldn't know. want to. You never know what Joey Saputo will do. Uh, if his team's not winning anyway, maybe he wants to save some money. I don't know. Um, okay. So, uh, that's it from Twitter that I saw. Um, we've got a question from the email from Lee, friend of the pod, Lee. <laughs> uh, he, he says in your best Jerry Seinfeld voice, what's the deal with Orlando city, not wanting to host open cup matches. DC doesn't even have a stadium End scene. <laughs> okay. So, all right. What is the deal with, uh, Orlando city not hosting? I, I gotta tell you people, it, it makes no sense. I guess they just, uh, they feel they don't want the money or they feel that it's not going to look at who knows. I don't get it. George, what are you doing? Uh, I want to say for the record that we are not professional um, <laughs> impersonators. I don't think we're professional <laughs> anything, to be honest. Well, no, <laughs> we, we, we definitely went pro in something other than sports. Um, yeah. uh, Lee, uh, <laughs> I think to answer the question uh, that just based on what happened last year, it probably scared Orlando off a little bit saying, let's not host in the early rounds because what happens if they send a lower level team here, which doesn't draw anybody. And then also we lose. Um, <laughs> I think last year scared them a little bit about that. Um, yeah. And I don't know yeah. when, I don't know if they had to turn, like if they have a, I'm certainly have deadlines of when they need to apply to host certain rounds and the fourth and fifth round may have been, and even the, even the quarterfinals. Uh, may have all been the same deadline. I don't actually know the answer to that, but I'm actually going to have to find that out because that is now piquing my interest. Um, certainly when Orlando hosted Columbus a couple years ago, that was a pretty good crowd and um, a good game. And, um, you know, I think it would be great to see a U.S. Open Cup game in Orlando City Stadium. We didn't have Orlando City Stadium when that happened. And uh, didn't have it uh, in 2016 when, uh, you know, they went on the road and lost uh, or beat Jacksonville Armada, then came home to the Citrus Bowl and lost to, um, you know, PC and the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. So, yeah, I think a couple of uh, maybe a little bit gun shy from the last couple of years losing to a lower division team uh, has factored into that. Um, and also it costs money to put these games on. And if you don't think you can recoup that money, um, then it's probably worth not doing because especially when you are paying for a stadium that you've just had built and are trying to pay for a state-of-the-art um, training facility in Lake Nona, you probably don't want to take a bath on a midweek game um, against a, a team that wouldn't draw very well. And, you know, Let's face it, Miami wasn't going to send more than a couple of hundred people up here. In fact, didn't really have a big attendance down there. I mean, it was no. uh, a good, a pretty good showing for Orlando City fans going down. I think there were only 2,200 fans, I think, at that game. So um, it would have probably been pretty ugly here, too. Um, there's a segment of the season ticket holder base that feel entitled to free tickets to U.S. Open Cup um, because they've got them in the past. And I'm here to tell you that you're not entitled to a free thing just because you got a free thing years ago. It, 
it doesn't make you entitled to one now. People say, well, wouldn't it be a good promotion and, and really drum up interest in the cup if you let people in? But that costs the team money. Every section you have to open up, you have to open up more vendors, you have to open up more ushers, you have more security. All of that costs money. So that is why, um, you know, if the team doesn't think it's financially smart to to host an early round game, they're not going to do it. So um, with that said, hopefully the Lions will progress further and we'll see if Orlando is all in for a uh, semifinal. It would be nice, um, like I said, if we can if we can advance and and then have a, a host one of the uh, the matches uh, a little later on. Let's do it. I would like that. I would like that. I would like to reach the semifinals because Orlando City has never done that. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> yeah, that would be it. Would be favorite. That would be favorite. Um, I would hit the like button on that for sure. All right, that's it for the. It is back. not it. It's not. Oh, did we get something from Mark? We did get something from original friend of the podcast, trying to claw his way back in now. Trying to get back um, in our good graces. Yes. <laughs> so, um, it's this one, and it's a it's a non soccer one, but still right up our alley. Uh, so, what Mark Johnson wants to know is, what is your favorite local brewery? Wow, that's a really hard question. Why don't you answer first? Because you have a different locale than I do. I do. So if I'm going to go um, tally, uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, Deep Brewing Company. Um, they uh, uh, are owned by uh, a guy named Ryan Lapete and his uh, brother who does the distribution. Uh, excellent people. Bearded, of course, as all brewers should be. Um, but uh, no, they, as, as a matter of fact, just yesterday I had a. Um, uh, double IPA they have called on porpoise. Uh, everything they do is, is, um, diving or, you know, water related because, uh, Ryan used to be a, a deep sea diver. Um, but anyway, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, and they, uh, they, they do a lot of things, right. As a matter of fact, uh, the only kegs I've had in my kegerator have been from deep so far. Um, so they're, they're definitely my favorite. And, um, if you if you get a chance to if you're up in Tallahassee way on a business or something like that, um, you know they're only open Thursday through Sunday, but uh, but give them a give them a try. Awesome, I'm gonna have to have you bring me down a growler when you come down. I will do so. Uh, here in Orlando, there's some good breweries, although our own Brandon Turton would disagree with me saying that. Um, I, I think there's a number of good breweries in the area. The Black Cauldron. Um, near the stadium is quite good, but uh, Hourglass is quite good as well. And I really like 1010. Um, I am just throwing some out there. I'm giving you my favorite yet, but also like uh, my two favorite breweries are in Sanford. Um, I really, okay. we go to Sanford quite a bit. My wife likes it up there. We're looking at maybe buying a house up there. And one of the, uh, one of those streets has uh, two breweries just a block or so away from each other, Sanford Brewing and Wops Hops. And I've always had really great beers at both of those places. I'm not sure if I could pick a favorite between the two because usually when I go up there, I go to both. Um, but uh, I enjoy both of those, and I think that uh, either of those would uh, be a good spot for uh, any fan of, uh, of good craft beer. So, so Sanford Brewing Company and Wops Hops, which is uh, just – up the road and on the other side of the street 
those are the ones that I go to the most. And um, I haven't been to all of them, but I'm I'm working my way through. Working my way. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I have to go to Sanford. The only other one I down that area and it's 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 a little even a little bit further out um over in deberry is um oh um central 28 central 28 yeah yeah i've they, had uh, some of their beers but i have not been to their brewery yet uh pretty cool place dan st pierre is the uh the owner and brewer there uh, he has a beard of course um but uh, no, uh, real good stuff there as well. And and the interesting thing is is how they come up with names uh, for their stuff. So for example, uh, their IPA is called Show Pigeon, and it was because when they were originally brewing it, there was this pigeon that pretty much came every day and sat around and just kind of strutted at stuff, and then would leave, and then would come back. And uh, when they were doing the first batch, and they were trying to think of a name, and they're like Show Pigeon. Once they were done with the batch, the pigeon never came back. So really kind of odd. Miss um, Mary Brown, they're it's in the beer. Uh, their brown ale, uh, Miss Mary Brown, was actually named for uh, their grandmother. That's what they called it. They didn't call her, you know, grandma or anything like that. They called her Miss Mary Brown, and so they named it in honor of her. So, really, really cool place. If you, especially for those listeners that are in the area, if you get a chance to slide on over there, uh, go give them a shot. Outstanding. So, thanks for the question, Mark Johnson, and uh, thanks to everybody who uh, sent in questions for uh, Ask the Mainland Podcast. You can, again, hit us up on Twitter. At the Mainland is our Twitter handle. Uh, you can just uh, respond to us. Use that hashtag, though, AskTMLPC. Uh, you can also email us, the mainland at gmail.com. So uh, that brings us back to the Montreal and Orlando City uh, matchup for this Wednesday, Dave. I got to know. The burning question I have, my Ask the Mainland Podcast anything question to you, is what is your key matchup and your final score prediction? Okay, so um, despite the fact that uh, we were talking about Piatti uh, and as dangerous as he is, um, my key matchup is going to be uh, – now, we, we, we heard that they've gone through a bunch of center backs, and we know how that is, um, but we also know that – We've got some center backs coming back. So um, with Dom back in the lineup, I think it's can Orlando score enough goals to overcome uh, Piatti and what he's going to do on the other side. Um, so it's it's um, our attack against their, their back line. And um, unfortunately, my score prediction is going to be a 1-1 draw, as we know, they uh, they haven't had a draw since we last played them, so of course it's <laughs> going to be a draw. And so I'm I'm saying 1-1. It's uh, I think Dom probably gets the goal, but um, uh, and Piatti sets something up on the other end. But uh, I, as it's it's an away it's an away match, and uh, they've been traveling quite a bit, so it's uh, I think it's going to be tougher than we want it to be. Hopefully, I'm wrong, which we seem to be all the time uh but uh but regardless um uh my prediction is one one all right yeah i think this trip may be something longer than like what swansea goes through in a year it's uh it's pretty amazing how many miles that's crazy it's it's it is it's nuts um i am going to say that my key matchup 
is going to be uh, I, I think the way Piotti sort of likes to drift to his left I think it's going to be a big match for um, whoever plays right back one thing we didn't mention from the game is that uh, and, and I don't think they mentioned this on the Vancouver broadcast but Jeff Radcliffe mentioned it on the TV 27 broadcast a lot of people thought that that Will Johnson came off for being ineffective. Will Johnson came off with a hamstring issue, according to Jeff Radcliffe on uh, on Saturday night. So I don't know who is going to be the right back. I would think that it would be R.J. Allen. Um, Scott Sutter hasn't played in quite some time. So if he's going to play, I don't believe he would play until... I mean, I can't see him starting and then coming out at halftime, although that's a possibility. Uh, I would think it more likely that he would come in to a, the next time we see Scott Sutter is probably going to be the last 25 minutes of a game that's sort of in hand, whether, you know, one way or the other. Uh, I kind of think that that's that might be the next time we see Scott Sutter. But I think that Piotti likes to drift to his left a bit. I think that's going to make things difficult. That's going to be where uh, Orlando City needs to be good. That's going to be Chris Nikita's side of the pitch uh, as the defensive midfielder. And uh, whoever is playing, uh, that, that has also been Chris Schuler's side of late uh, playing center back. So if he plays center back there uh, without, you know, not a great deal of pace for Chris Schuler, that's going to be a dicey proposition. So uh, I think that that's the, the area of concern that I have. That's the key matchup is Piatti against, you know, if Piatti gets to his left uh, playing against the right side of Orlando City's defense, that's, that's the key matchup I'm looking at. I think that this will be a game that Dom Dwyer affects quite a bit, but I'm also going to predict a draw because 35 games without a draw, Montreal is due. Uh, I'm going to go with 2-2. 2-2, and my hope is that uh, young Chris Mueller gets off the schneid. It's been a while since we've seen him put the ball in the net, so I'm hoping that he Indeed. gets one. So there you have it. Um, my computer sounds like it's going to explode. That cannot be good. Uh, so we should probably wrap this <laughs> up. Wrap things up, yeah, before you die. Yeah. So I will say that uh, thanks again to uh, our special guest tonight uh, for dropping in from the from the uh, you know the great SB Nation site, Mount Royal Soccer. Paul Vance had stopped by. I want to thank him again for uh, being with us. And uh, and I you know I didn't ask him, but he sure sounds Irish to me. Uh, definitely sounded Irish to me. Uh, of course, we were on Skype, so you know who knows. But uh, it does not it sound French. It does not sound French Canadian. No, definitely does not <laughs> sound French Canadian. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't think that uh, that Paul Vance is a Canadian name. Doesn't sound like that to me. No, no. no not a French Canadian name anyway. Uh, right. All right, big thanks to him for stopping by and telling us a little bit about the Montreal Impact. Uh, of course, we'll be back next week to talk about. Orlando City's match against Montreal. We'll have uh, another U.S. Women's National Team game to discuss as they hit China up for the second time in a week. Um, And we will obviously be getting ready for some more big games on the horizon from uh, the Pride. The Pride will be getting ready to go up. Uh, The Pride actually will play before we we, uh, talk again, Dave. The Pride will be Mm -hmm. back in action on the 16th. At home against Sky Blue, please go to the stadium and see this team play because they're they're quite good and they're quite uh, worthy of your time and money. And Orlando City's so. out of town, so Orlando City's out of town. So go see the Pride play Sky Blue. Sky Blue is a team that is in the basement of the 
uh, standings in the NWSL. Orlando's uh, pride seems to be uh, clicking pretty well. They're going to come home. They're going to want some support. And if you give it to them, you might see some uh, some fireworks against Sky Blue. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. We'll also get ready for the D.C. United match in the U.S. Open Cup. We'll preview. Oh, my goodness, Dave. We'll preview Orlando City Montreal again. Deja vu all over again. <laughs> because they play again on the 23rd. And uh, the Pride will be playing at Washington that night which is going to suck coverage-wise because uh, I can't be in two places at once, as it turns out. So uh, I'm going to need to see if somebody can help me out with some pride coverage that night and um, as I go to the stadium to see the Montreal game on the 23rd. But we'll bring that all to you next week. Um, Please check out our stuff. We uh, have stuff for you to check out, actually. It's at themainland.com. Spell Maine like a lion's mane, as always. Uh, subscribe to the old podcast. Tell your friends about us. Uh, give us a five-star review and, and write it up, and we will read it on the air. I didn't check this week, so I'll, I apologize if you're waiting to hear it uh, read. You will have to wait until next week's show. And, uh, of course, like us on uh, the Facebook and uh, follow us on the Twitters. And, uh, Dave, where can they find you? I am at Mainland Dave uh, on the Twitter, and of course, uh, you can find my stuff on uh, mainland.com as well. And you? I am at Mainland Michael on the Twitters, and uh, of course, you can follow the Twitter uh, of the official Mainland Twitter at, at the Mainland, which we've already mentioned several times so uh thanks for listening uh we will be back next week to uh, do it all again and uh, on behalf of david rowe i'm michael citro the founder and managing editor of the mainland.com signing off episode number 129 the way i always do by saying go city and go pride